We are in the middle of a series called Process. The reality of it is, is that God created every single human being on this planet for a purpose. And our purpose rests in Christ and Christ alone. When we begin to follow Jesus, it becomes apparent to us that we were put on this earth for a very specific reason, that we weren't an accident, that we weren't random, that we were created for a purpose. And as we begin to follow Jesus, that becomes clear. And over time, we begin to recognize and understand that this life is more than just what the culture said it was. But over the last few generations, the church has highly ignored that process that stands in between who we are when we meet Jesus and then fully living out and executing our purpose in him. And we get people all excited about the purpose and, and we get people all excited about salvation. And that's a good thing to be excited about. But salvation isn't the end. Salvation is the beginning of a new life in Christ. And so what we've done is we've watered down religion to this one finite little thing. And that when you get saved, then you just need to come to church more, sin less, do good things, put money in the offering plate. That's the most expensive thing. I mean, most, <laughs> it is most expensive, most important thing. And then just live and die quietly. But the reality of who God called us to be is far more greater than that. And so we've been studying the process and the things that take place. Last week, we came down to this one conclusion, this powerful thing, because when Jesus says to Peter, he says, there's something going on inside of you. The Simon, who you, who you were before you met me, the identity that you had before you met me was Simon, but you're Peter. And he said, but there, there's something still in your mind. There's something still deep in yourself that is causing you to miss out and causing you not to see who I am. And that's why the Bible says we have to quit conforming to the age and have our minds renewed so that we can begin to transform, begin this process. And so we came down to this one, one simple thing, and I don't want to preach the whole message from last week, but we have to understand that Ephesians 2 says that before we met Christ, that we walked according to or walked out of the age of this world, that walked according to our out of the prince of the power of the air. That the enemy highly influenced and molded the culture and the age. And that culture and age highly influenced and molded our minds. And ultimately, that led us to have a satanic view of God and life and self. And even though that sounds scary, that sounds like something, and we start thinking about scary movies. When you start saying the name Satan, and you start saying Lucifer, and you start saying these things, that's something our culture kind of rejects. We really don't want to talk about that. But the reality of a satanic view of God is simply a lower view of God than the reality of who he is. That's what Satan drives at. That's what the culture drives at. If they can just get your, get your view of God lowered, if they can lower your view of Christ, your view of the Father, your view of the Holy Spirit, just enough, you can still believe in him. You can still believe. You can even have faith in him. You can even be saved. But if he can just get, like Peter, to lower his view of him just a little bit, then you will have a low view and a warped view of every other area of your life. And eventually, you will waste your life. And I want to make it clear, this is not just a philosophical opinion that I developed over time. This is something that Jesus has made explicitly clear in the Gospels, specifically in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And I want to teach you out of that today. And, and I, I encourage you, if I say something that, that maybe you don't recognize or you don't hear, it's because it's already been in the series. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But I, I, want you, I don't want you to miss this reality of what God is speaking today. I believe at the end of the message, the Lord has put something very specific for this group of people for this time today. And I, I want you to open up your heart and your mind to what the Lord has to say. This is Matthew 25, and I, I just want to read this. For it will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. For it will be. What is it? Anybody know? I'll tell you. It's the kingdom of heaven. Well, in uh, chapters 24 and 25 going on, he began to teach his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's important that you understand that and you accept this. You accept that what Jesus is teaching us is how the kingdom of heaven works, not how the culture works, not how the age works, not how the systems of the world work, not how Forbes says it works, not how the media says it works. What he begins to teach is how the kingdom of heaven works and what a good servant and a faithful servant is in the kingdom of heaven. Because if you read this through the eyes of the culture or you read this through the eyes that you're going to miss the power of what he's saying, he's telling you literally, I am telling you how the kingdom of heaven works throughout these different parables. He's speaking something powerful about how life is supposed to be in the kingdom of heaven, not in the kingdom of this world. And he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And you got to understand this too. And I just, I, I could go all day on this, but I just want you to understand the way that we view servanthood or bond servanthood or slavery in the Western modern world is a wicked view as it should be. But the slavery and the bond servanthood in this culture, in this age was totally different in a lot of ways than the way that we think about it. And so I want you to understand that, that a being a bond servant or a bond slave or a dulios in the Greek of a master in this day and age wasn't always a bad thing. In fact, most of the time for most people, especially people who got opportunities like these three individuals are going to get, it was a fantastic opportunity to be a bond servant of the master rather than the atir. Because the way that you became a bond servant was because you either acquired so much debt by making some bad business decisions or living outside of your means or, or getting in debt to Rome with the taxes or doing whatever it is. And you acquired a debt that you could not pay. And in this day and age, you had to have a debt you couldn't pay meant one of two things. Debtor's prison, which is a kind way of saying we're just going to kill you. Or just flee the area from where you're from, change your name and start a whole new identity somewhere else. And that was pretty much it. And so what people would do if they found themselves in this type of trouble, instead of going to debtor's prison, they would take it to a wealthy man or they would take it to somebody that they knew and respected that would take care of them and their family. And they would say, if you pay my debt, then I will be your servant through the rest of my life. Does that make sense? So it gave them, it gave them a second chance at life. The other way that you became a bondservant is if you picked the wrong team to play for. If the Rome was coming, all right, and, and you had an opportunity just to go be on Rome's side or to fight for your people, and Rome beat you as they did for most people, then you, you deserve death because you picked the wrong side. And instead of killing you on the battlefield, they gave you an option to be a part of the system. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand as we read through this, this is, a, this is a good thing a lot of times. People don't understand, but Joseph in the Bible, the Joseph, the coat of many colors, remember Sunday school? And they always had the coat of many colors and they had all like pink and red, look like a little rainbow. <laughs> little Joseph, arrogant little punk, runs out of his tent. Hey guys, guess what? I had this dream. All y'all are going to bow down to me for life is over. Isn't that awesome? No, I don't know why they hated him. But they sold him into what? Slavery. And he never left even though he became the second most powerful man in the entire nation. He became the second most powerful man in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the known world. He was bar none only to Pharaoh, but he was still a bondservant. So you can't view this through Western eyes. 
you got to see the power of this. So he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, it is like a man. It is like a master who brings his servants together and entrusts him with his property. And this means that when they brought it together, he, he gave them a level of wealth, or sometimes they would get a function or, or a responsibility, and then that's what they would do with their life. They would run the house, or they would run the business, or they would sweep the streets, or whatever it was, whatever function or responsibility that they gave them. In this case, he gave him talents. He said, to one he gave five talents to another one, to an, or another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. All right, I want to shatter your hopes and dreams really fast. I know that the vast majority of the last 2,000 years, people have always viewed talents as what? Talents. Do you know that the only reason that we have the word talents in the English language is because of this parable? That early on the Catholic Church took the stance that the talents meant gifts and abilities. They would say that this meant gifts and abilities. That every person's born with gifts. Every person's born with ability. And, and that, that's your talents. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about. And so you have to take your ability and take your skill set and take who you are and use it for the glory of God. And that's what the parable's saying about. True in principle, wrong, because they forgot like a pretty key word. Anybody see that up there? What did he give them the talents according to what? So how could the talents meet ability if ability is already in the sentence? These are the moments when I'm like, did anyone read the Bible? So the reality of it is, is you can take that stance, and that's an okay stance because that's a part of that's true. But if you take that stance and you think that talents mean talent and talents mean gifts and talents mean ability, when ability clearly means ability, then you will miss the fullness of what Jesus Christ is actually teaching you about the kingdom of heaven. He gave him talents. Talents is a weight in gold. It's a weight of silver or gold or copper. And everybody kind of looks at this like five, two, one, like it's not a lot. Literally, each one of these is about one and a half million dollars today. This is significant. Even the guy with one. Everybody's always like, yeah, the guy with one got picked on. No, he didn't. He got one and a half million dollars at pump. And he gave them that according to their ability. So I don't, I don't have time to go through all the history lessons and all the stuff to prove to you why I'm right, but just read the Bible and just believe that the Bible's right. That he gave you something different. At the end of the day, he gave you an opportunity. He gave you something to manage. Or he gave you a function. He gave you something according to your ability. He didn't give you an ability according to your ability. He didn't give you a talent according to your talent. He didn't give you gifts according to your gifts. He gave you an opportunity, something different, according to the ability that he made you in. All right, I'm going to go fast. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground. Let me go back and read. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He went and worked with them. That's what that means. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The responses were the same, even though the amounts were different because he wasn't looking at the amount. He was looking at something different. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, 
Listen, I knew you to be a hard man. It literally means a violent man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. This is the master's response. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Hint the sarcasm. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers at the coming. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. There is a significant portion of information and power and mystery tied up in this parable. But I believe that the Lord wants us to see one simple truth the most this morning. And that is why the wicked and slothful servant who the master labeled worthless was wicked and slothful and worthless. At the end of the day, you have to recognize what is actually happening. Why did, why did the one with five and the one with two take off and get to work? And, and what separated the, the one with five and the one with two who went out and worked the opportunity they've been given from the one who put it in the ground? What, what made the, the wicked and, and slothful servant unwilling to act, which is what slothful means at the end of the day? It means unwilling to act. It means, it means you had something to do, but you did nothing. If you put the Greek together, it literally meant you were late because you delayed, meaning you knew you had to go, you knew you had something to do, but you chose not to do it. You just were unwilling to act on something that was clear. That's what it means. Don't let the cute little animal sloth with three little evil fingers fool you. They're not cute. Sloth is a bad thing. Sloth is not, not, not a good thing. Sloth is a horrible thing. You're not just slow. That's when we hear sloth, we think slow. We think lazy. It's not just that. It's something deeper than that. It is that, that you had something you knew you had to do, but you did not act. You were just unwilling to act. And what I want to preach to you this morning is why so many people are unwilling to act on the opportunities that Jesus puts before us. In a hope and a prayer that no one in this room and no one that ever hears this message gets described as a worthless servant or described as a wicked and slothful servant. Why? Why did he bury it in the ground? It was because of the view he had of the master. See, when he came up, the one with five came up and said, here, I made five more. And the one with two came up and said, hey, I made two more. You gave me five, here's ten. You gave me two, here's four. We went out and we worked the opportunity that you gave us. We did it. The one came up and he said, hey, listen, I just want you to know something. I know you, even though we didn't. You're a hard man. You're a violent man. You're a stubborn man. You reap where you did not sow. You harvest where you didn't plant. You're taking things that don't belong to you. You're not entitled to these things. The servant is looking at the master, and he has this like pride sense of resentment towards him. And he begins to lay it out. And he said, and I, I, I had this, and I had a fear of you. I had a fear of, of not being able to handle it, of losing it. So I went and I put it in the ground. So here, I dug it back up. Here's what's yours. He had a low view of the master. And you can't miss this reality. Because he had a low view of the master, 
He had a warped view of every other thing in the story. He had a warped view of the life. What he didn't understand is that the reason why the master could come and take what wasn't his was because he is the master's, the seed in his hand is the master's, the ground that he throws it in is the master's, and anything that comes up from that, it's all still the master's. What he forgets, that little entitled punk forgets, is that the only reason that he's still breathing is because the master paid the debt that he could not pay. Do you hear me? He forgets that the only reason he's got breath in his lung is because the master allowed him to keep breathing. He forgets that the only reason he's standing there with an opportunity to begin with is because the master looked into his ability, saw his ability, and gave him an opportunity. But he didn't see it because he had a low view of the master. He missed the reality. He did not have an accurate view. He had a warped view of life and the situation. And he's actually standing there. The only reason that he was still alive in that moment was because the master saved his life. The master could have taken it at any moment. The master could have chosen not to pay the debt. The master could have done a myriad of things. But the master chose to save him. And so he's standing there in that moment only because the master saved him. He had a low view of the master, so he had a warped view of life. He had a warped view of the opportunity. See, a lot of times what we don't know in this culture, we don't really see this in the story, but the reality of it is, is whatever the master gives you to, you're responsible for, your function or the opportunity, that's also your livelihood. And I, I don't want you to read this like these guys are homeless. These guys are millionaires. The one with five is living like a king. The one with two is living like a king. But the one, he viewed the opportunity not as an opportunity. He didn't see it as an opportunity to go work. He didn't see it as an opportunity to go have meaning. He didn't see it as an opportunity to go have worth. He didn't see it as an opportunity to have purpose. He saw it as a burden, so he buried it in the ground. But the reality of it is, is now he doesn't have anything to live off of. The opportunity that the master laid before him was how he was going to feed himself and live. That was how things was going to work. So now he's just got to go out and try to exist. Here's the reality of what he did. Because he had a warped view of the opportunity, he chose mere existence and survival over purpose. And then the third thing, and this is the most important thing, and this is getting to where I think the Lord is speaking to us this morning. He had a demonic view of himself. An empty view of himself. Because he said, you're a hard man, you're a violent man. And I was afraid. What he's saying is, is I could have gone and worked. But I thought that if I went out and worked the opportunity that you gave me, that I would fail and I would lose it and you would take my life. So instead I put it in the ground. He didn't see who he was. Remember why the master gave him the opportunity to begin with according to his ability. The master believed in him more than he believed in himself. Because he had a low view of the master, he went and he put it in the ground. And when the master came back to settle the account, he said, wicked and slothful servant. He took what he had, and I'm not going to get into the power of all that. And I don't want to get lost in the theology of the last sentence. I just want to see the reality of why he put it in the ground. He put it in the ground because he had a low view of the master. And because he had a low view of the master, he had a warped view of life. He had a warped view of the opportunity. He had a warped view.
view of himself. But then the good and the faithful servant had the exact opposite of all of those things. See, the message last week was all about gaining and having a revelation of the majesty of Jesus Christ. Because your view of God and your view of Jesus and your view of the majesty and the fullness of God is going to affect every other thing in your life. And if you allow the culture to form you, allow the culture to influence you, allow the age to influence you and to mold you, and you have a low view of God, a demonic view of God, a satanic view of God, you will begin to see life and you will begin to see the opportunities around you and you will begin to see even yourself in a low and worthless view, believing that you couldn't live up to it. And I want to go to Ephesians 2 really fast and I want to I read what we read last week and now I want to read the rest of it and I want you to pay attention to this reality. Ephesians chapter 2. And you being dead in the trespasses and the sins of you in which once you walked, according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all lived once in the desires of the flesh. And we did the things willed of the flesh and its mind. And we were children by nature of wrath as the rest. This is the part where you, you've got to just accept this. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these things were true in your life. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And your mind, your identity, who you were before you met Jesus, you walked according to the age of this world. You walked according to the age of this world that walked according or came out of the prince of the power of the air. That your flesh controlled you. Your flesh that set itself against the spirit controlled you. The Bible says your mind was hostile to God, that you were, you were literally hostile to God. Your flesh caused you to do sin, and you were controlled and influenced by an age that was controlled and influenced by the enemy. And the fullness of your life, the God part of you was dead. That's who all of us were. And because we sinned, and because we, 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 we sinned against God and because we were hostile in our minds, we were children of wrath, all deserving wrath, all deserving destruction, all deserving death. That was what we deserved. At the end of the day, we owed a debt that we could not pay. And I know in modern America and modern religion, nobody likes to say that. But that's the reality of who you were before you met Jesus Christ. No one had to teach you how to be wicked and evil. No one had to teach Cain how to kill his brother. No one had to teach us how to cheat on our wives and our husbands. No one had to teach us how to get addicted to the things of this world. No one had to teach us how to be liars and deceivers. No one had to teach us how to gossip. No one had to teach us how to be arrogant. No one had to teach us how to be evil because we were just dead in our sins and our trespasses and had been molded by the age, by the world, and by this enemy. That's who we were deserving nothing but death. But. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. When you were dead in your sins, 
as you were Cain, as you were killing Abel, God's love still saved you. As you were liars and deceivers and cheats and adulterers, as you were all the wicked things of the world, in Christ's love, he still loved you and he saved you with his mercy. And that's the, that's the reality of, of who we are. When we put our faith in Christ, we are raised to life in Christ, saved by his mercy. There is nothing that you have done. There's no works that you have done. There's nothing you have done that got God's attention. And he said, oh, he's worthy to be saved. None of us were worthy to be saved. He saved us because he loved us. We did nothing because we could do nothing good. It's not by works. There's nobody in this room right now that can say, I did X, Y, Z. And so God loved me. No, God loved you and saved you even when you were dead. That's the beauty in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from God. God opened up your heart and opened up your mind to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And one day, through no works of your own, you came to that saving grace and that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he will raise you up simply to bless you and to show you grace. But if you stop right there, you will miss the fullness of the gospel. Because right here, religion likes to stop. Religion likes to stop right here at this sentence. And, and they don't want to talk about the next sentence. They don't want to talk about the next sentence that, that can empower your life in a way that you can't imagine. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, handiwork, masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to understand that as Paul is going through here, as the Spirit of God is, is beginning to teach the Ephesians, the message is that you were dead in your sins, your mind was warped and controlled by the age, by the culture, and by the enemy. But in Christ's love and mercy, he reached out, made himself known to you, and saved you. And now he's given you a reason for God created you. For your God's workmanship, God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works. Works that God prepared in advance for you to do. This is the part where people are going to have issues. Because God created you, you're his handiwork, and he's created you to do something specific that he prepared for you to do, not just random works. He created you in a certain way. He gave you a certain form, and because he gave you that certain form, he created you in mind for a certain function that he prepared a long time for you to do. When you get created in Christ Jesus, or you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are now ready to do the things that God put you on this planet to do in the first place. But the reality is most of us, because we have a low view of God, even Christians, because we have a low view of God, and we never stop conforming to the age, and we never stop conforming to the world, the enemy does not just warp your view of God and warp your view of Christ and warp your view of the Holy Spirit. He warps your view of yourself. And at the end of the day, that worthless servant was worthless because he looked in and had a wrong view of God. And then he looked at the opportunity and he said, I'm not going to be able to do this. So he went and put it in the ground and chose mere existence over purpose because he did not see who he was in Jesus Christ, who he was in the master. He did not see his own ability the way the master saw it. That was what separated him from the other two. 
When the culture molds your mind and the culture begins to tell you what's important and tell you what's cool and tell you what's in and paints an image of success, 99% of the time you don't fit or live up to that standard. And so you develop a sense of insecurity. You are blinded to who you are in God. And the, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord laid something on my heart to do, and, and I, I'm going to do that, and we're just going to let God do his thing. And if you haven't been paying attention up to this point, wake up. Can Caleb come up here for a minute? My buddy. It's my buddy. Give him a hand clap. <laughs> sit right here, man. You know, I can't sit down. I have ADD. <laughs> This is the, the reality of what I want, I want to talk to you about. And, I, and I've talked to him about this, and I, I just want to, I want to share my heart really fast. When we allow the culture, when, when we have a, a, allow the culture to, to dictate to us who we are, when we allow the culture to, to, to dictate to us uh, who God is, the view of God, and we begin to lower our view of God, when we lower our view of God, we, have a, we, we gain this warped view of life and opportunity and self. And so the age and the culture becomes the thing that, that, that leads us, that guides us. And I know that you don't want to admit to this, and I know you want to argue to this, but this is the reality. This is why you've done life the way you've done life, because the culture told you how to do life. Many of you, you built up your life, you built up what was important, you built up your career, you built up your, ch you chased something that the culture told you to chase, not because you were necessarily born to do it. And I know we don't like that as Americans, and we can do whatever we want, and we're entitled to do whatever we want, but the reality of the kingdom of heaven, that's how the culture works. But Jesus is trying to get you how the kingdom of heaven works, and how the kingdom of heaven works is that God is the master, and we are the servants, and we don't get to choose what we do with this life because we didn't create ourselves. God created us. And so when you have a warped view of God, you have a warped view of life, and you start to think that maybe you breathe your own breath into here. Maybe I called you up too soon. You breathe your own breath into yourself, that you somehow created yourself, that you somehow can, can pick and choose what you do in this life, like our God's a random God, but he's not a random God. He's a God of purpose. Chaos doesn't go into, chaos doesn't, doesn't come from this order. Order is of God. Chaos is of this world and of the enemy. Everything that God has ever done from day one, it's order. The way that God creates the world. You have a seed, you put that seed into a ground, it dies and it grows up and it produces some of that seed come from. You can't put an orange seed in the ground and get apples because that's chaos. The reality of how most of you live your life because you have a low view of God, you have a warped view of life and a warped view of yourself, and God created you to be an apple seed, but because the culture told you that oranges were cool, you put yourself in the ground or trying your best to be an orange when you aren't an orange, you're an apple. You hear me? See, you, you, you've built up this image of who you think uh, you are and what you think success is, but reality is you are blinded to who you were truly formed to be. Ultimately, if you allow the culture to dictate this, to dictate to you image, to dictate who you are, you will spend your entire life, the Simon in you, building up an identity that should have never existed to begin with. You will find it difficult to leave the Simon in you and the life that Simon built to chase your greatness in Peter because the world your entire life has convinced you that that's who you're supposed to be when you're not. And you develop this, 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 this thing about you. So, so Caleb, this is my boy. This is my boy. 
I love him. I love him. You have no idea how much I love this kid. But growing up, growing up, stand up, man. Me and you ain't that tall, bro. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a little taller, not much. You probably weren't very good at basketball. No. I can shoot a little bit. I'm a lot better in my mind than I am in reality. Mm-hmm. But I'm not very tall. You're not very tall. I'm not very tall. Did you do good in school? No. No. You sit back down. You do very good in school. Do you get picked on when you're younger? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably people like me picking on you, yeah, truthfully. <laughs> See, the reality of it is, is that, that the culture begins. When you, when you look at the culture, and then you begin to look at yourself, if the culture, say, values, I don't know, athletics, just randomly, maybe we'll build up an entire system where we pay billions and billions and billions of dollars to athletes who are tall and can throw something at something else well and call that greatness. Hashtag reality. And so you grow up, you know, I'm, I'm not tall. Well, I can't throw a football. I can't shoot a basketball. I, I can't do like that. I don't, I don't look like that. The culture will dictate what beauty is. And you look at what beauty is. Even though a lot of it's manufactured and not real. You look at what beauty is. And you go, I don't, I don't, I'm not beautiful. And because in our culture, we've only valued two forms of intelligence, even though there's nine different messages for a different day. You may not excel at logic or math or the other side of the brain, the grammar and linguistics. That's the only, about the only two that we really value. We've set up an entire education system built around only two forms of intelligence when there is nine forms of intelligence. So if, you're not, if you don't highly excel in these two things, you could go through school thinking, man, I'm, I'm not very smart. And because you don't think like the culture, act like the culture, because you, you can start to develop this life where you start, when, when they start to tell you that, that this is what, being successful is being famous, being successful is being rich, being successful is being this, being successful is being that. And when you look into yourself and, and you begin to think that, that I don't think that I can really fit into that mold, you start to think I'm not, I'm not valuable. I don't have worth compared to what the culture dictates to me. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I can't do the things that they can do. And you start to have a warp and so then when you have a warped view of God and a warped view of opportunity a warped view of self when God puts an opportunity before you and you see it you develop a fear of failure because you're blinded to who God actually created you to be so most of the time you spend your life trying to fit in and rise up to who the culture says you're supposed to be creating for you a circle hole but you're a square peg and you're never going to fit See, the reality of it is, it's Caleb Short. There's no way to get about that. He can't jump worth nothing. <laughs> Just can't. See, and you're like, he's being mean to him up there. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He'll probably never be able to sit down and, and, and figure out quantitative physics or how to extend string theory through the course of the universe. I read that just to impress you. He might not be able to, he might not be able to, to sit down and, and, and do a lot of things that you can do. He, he, he probably will never be able, be able to run like a big corporation or a big business because he's not, I don't have the gift of leadership like that, that organizational gift of leadership. He doesn't have that. I could go through 99 things that Caleb would absolutely be horrible at. As I could every single one of you. 
But that's okay because God formed him to be good at one thing. God formed him to be good at one thing. See, God knew what Caleb was going to do in this life or was supposed to do in this life. What he was born to do in this life. And so God created him and he formed him. He formed him a very specific way to do very specific things. And if the culture begins to dictate to Caleb who he is, then Caleb will spend his life trying to succeed in an area he should never be in. He is God's handiwork, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. If you have a low view of God and you allow the culture to dictate who you are, you will be blinded to who your actual form. And so when God does send the opportunity, you won't understand that that opportunity is connected to your function because function follows form. To understand what you're supposed to do in this life, look at who God created you to be. Look at what you're good at. You can go back. You can go away now. Okay. <laughs> Take this with you. See, this is the reality of, of what I want you to understand about that young man back there. That young man in his zone, in his box that God created him in, he could take this world over. He can stand in front of 250 teenagers and control them like they are zombies. Because he's funny. He can just move like that. When he gets around, there's a certain level of genius to that. He can, he can make jokes and he can lead and he can go when he's in his zone. He can pick up any instrument in the world and he can play it like nobody's business. He can write music. He is, that gave him an IQ test. The kid's almost a genius. Because there's different forms of intelligence than what American education says. Since the vast majority of the world's whooping us at a lot of things, maybe we ought to rethink that. Here's the reality of what I want you to understand. What separated the wicked and slothful servant from the ones who didn't waste their life was he had a low view of God, a warped view of everything else, and eventually he just couldn't see who he was. What separated the guy with five and the guy with two was a guy with five. He was confident in himself. Not out of arrogance or pride, but he knew. He said, listen, the master saved my life. I should be in debtor's prison. I should be dead on the battlefield. But he saved my life and he saved my family. And now I owe him my life. And on top of that, he's given me this opportunity. The master's looked into my ability. He's looked into who I am, into my ability, and he's given me this so I know that I can conquer whatever he gives me because he's only going to give me what he created me to be. See, when you begin to see it like that and you have a high view of the master, you begin to have an empowered view of yourself. And see, here's the reality. You can call me cocky. You can call me arrogant. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. There's 99 things in this world I can't do, 999 million things in this world I can't do, but I can preach God's gospel. I can, pre I can communicate the word of God like nobody's business. When I open up the book, it just it calls out to me. I just see it, and I can write it, and I can talk about it. I can communicate it in a way that people understand. I'll never be able to dunk a basketball. I'll never be able to throw a football 70 yards. I'm not very fast. I can't jump very high. I struggle with my weight. There's a lot of things I'll never be able to do. I have to learn and grow in other areas. But since the day I started following Jesus Christ, I can open up that word of God, and I can communicate it to you in a way that you can hear me. Do you know why? 
I can do that because that's how I've been formed. That's who I am. I'm formed that way. And so when I get an opportunity to go play in a basketball league, I say, no, thank you, even though I want to. When I have an opportunity to chase some other hobby because I'm competitive as I'll ever get out, I say, no, I don't want to. When I get offers to go do this or go do that, I say, no, I don't want to because I know my father and I know the way I'm formed and I know my function and I'm going to say no to anything outside of my function because it's within that box that I have the potential to be greatness for the kingdom and the glory of God. The reason why most of you think you're not good enough, the reason why most of you think you're not smart enough, the reason why most of you think that you'll never be able to do the things in life and conquer the things in life and you continually feel like a failure and continually feel like you're one step behind, it's because you're going in the wrong direction. The reason I know that I will always succeed in everything that I do is because I'm not responsible for the increase. That's God's job. I am just responsible to take the opportunity that he puts in my mind and work it and work it and work it and work it and whatever comes from it is on him. That's the reality of life. But many of you will allow the Simon in you and the culture and you will base and build your entire life on a false identity. I'm telling you. And then when those opportunities come, see, there are books that need to be written that God will call you to write. There's songs that need to be sung that God will call you to write. There's businesses that need to be started. There are nonprofit organizations. There are people dying and starving. There are people lost in sex slavery. There are children that need you. There, there are orphans. There are, there are people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The internet the internet controls the world. I don't know much about it. But I got a guy on my staff that can build websites like nobody's business. He understands that stuff. He can build it. He can form it. He can do it. He can put it on social media. And last week, that clip that went out, it reached 31,000 people. No, oh, yeah, clap. That's good. Because we're a small little church in Denver. What I'm telling you is, is that we didn't do that just because I preached. We did that because somebody realized how they were formed and they know their function and they're operating in that function and they're changing the world. The reason why most of you will waste your lives, and, I'm, and I mean that, the reason why most of you will waste your lives is because you've allowed the culture and the enemy to lower your view of God and you've allowed the culture to dictate who you are. You're a square peg trying to fit in a, in a circle hole and it's never going to work. There's some of you can crunch numbers. There's some of you, you can, you're artists. There's some of you can think you're logical. There, there, there is the, the list is endless. And God's going to give you opportunities according to that ability, the way that he created you. One more thing and then, and then we'll be done. You ever think about in the Old Testament why, why David wasn't at the fire when, when Samuel came to anoint the king? So the story is, is that God said, I'm going to raise up a new king of Israel. Samuel, go to Jesse. He's got sons. Go to Jesse, and, and one of his sons is going to be the king, and I'll show you when he gets there. When Samuel gets there, there's all the sons here except one. And as each one of these sons, one's tall, and he's big, and he's victorious, and he's a warrior. And Samuel's like, surely that's him. God says, no, that's not him. One son after another, after another, after another. And he says, don't you have any more sons? He says, well, there's just David out in the field. And we forget about little childhood David because of all the great things he did. But in that moment, don't you understand who David was? David was rejected. 
His brothers didn't believe in him. His dad didn't believe in him. Samuel didn't. Samuel's looking for something. No, his brothers weren't going, hey, dad, where's David at? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Nobody believed in David. Nobody saw David. But what set David apart was David didn't care. And David stood out in that field and he said, Father, Father, I'm yours. Father, I lay down my life and I'm going to live for you. I'm not tall like my brothers. And I might not be able to throw a spear like my brothers. I might not be able to do that. But it was David that killed the giant, not his brothers. Why? Because David, he had a form. He was created a certain way. David wound up uniting the kings and doing things that we could not imagine in one lifetime because David never tried to fit in to what the culture said he was supposed to be. He just stayed lost in the field with God and allowed God to show him, David, you're not like your brothers, but I've destined you to be you. I've formed you to be great. I've formed you to lead. And this morning, you need to step back from the culture. You need to find that field where David was, and you need to get alone with God and quit worrying about what the culture says and figure out your form. Because if you can look into yourself and see how God created you, it will start to become very obvious to you what he created you to do. But if you allow the culture to dictate who you are, you will always be not pretty enough, not tall enough, not strong enough, not smart enough. You will always be blinded to your form and you will never find your function. Part of the process is getting lost with God and allowing God to tell you who you are created to be. There's power in that my heart and my prayer for every single person in this room is that when you stand before the master he says to you well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a little now I'll set you over much enter into the joy of your master if you guys will stand